Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. We have a fun show planned for you today, and neither one of us is sick today. So that is a step in the right direction. Blessed. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Um, all right. So Adam Sparks of the Knoxville News Sentinel is going to join us coming up a little bit later on. Our State of the Union tour of the SEC continues as we get with some of the first-year head coaches going into their second year. So Adam Sparks covering all things Tennessee football and Josh Heupel. We've got a lot of things to discuss with him. So we'll talk with Adam Sparks coming up a little bit later on in the show. Uh, we will discuss – we're, we're going to do some – like you know how there's like that Mythbusters show, right, on TV? Yes. Did you ever watch it? Fan? Yes. Not a fan? No, I've seen it. I like it. I am. We're going to do some narrative busting, but it's going to be preemptive narrative busting. So these are going to be narratives that don't exist yet that I already hate. This is me in my <laughs> grumpiest form already taking place. It's a little here. early for this, Britain. Yeah, don't you a think? A little early. A couple of small pieces of news to get to. Uh, could Jaden Daniels transfer in? We've got some coaching rehabilitation clinic news for Alabama as well. So not a ton of news. Very slow news week, Aaron, uh, in the SEC. But, of course, we've got the Combine coming up, so we're going to tell some stories about the Combine, about players, and about underwear, and about 40 times and hand size. I know you've got lots of thoughts on hand size, Aaron. Don't we all? It's <laughs> no. important. No, in fact, I don't have any thoughts <laughs> on you're the ones. Size. You're the one that normally talks about men's physicality in like a pretty gross way, so don't put this on me. Love a good flesh, flesh bomb. Let love us good, not forget. Love a good flesh bomb. Yikes. Um, okay, so we'll talk. We'll spend a lot of time talking combine here, telling some stories, and uh, you've got some interesting perspective considering just exactly what players are going to go through this weekend mentally from an actual conversation standpoint as it pertains to the combine in Indianapolis for a lot of players. So we'll we'll have some fun today, a light episode, and then some heavy state of the union for Tennessee fans a little bit later on. Uh, however, before we do any of that, Aaron Dugan, for gentlemen, is brought to you by having hair problems. Fringe Element is brought to you by Jasper's just a nutritional pit stop on your way to greatness. A nutritional pit stop on your way to greatness. That's their tagline. You've read it. They're our sponsor. You should know that. I, you're right. I correct my, I, I stand corrected, sit corrected, pod corrected. You Read are the correct. marketing materials, Braden. What do you think? Sorry. I You think I just Sorry. make this shit up every week? No, of course yeah, not. Yeah, you have to read read your email, dude. Of course Jeez. you don't just make it up every week. God, would, it's called you, being, it's pro, I am professional. Why would, else. yeah, why would anyone sit down to do paid advertisements for a sponsor and a client and, <laughs> and just make it all up as they go? Who would no do one. that? No one would do that, especially not someone with as much, um, as dedicated and professional as I am. <laughs> Uh, go to Jasper's. The parking is free and it's your nutritional pit stop on the way to greatness. All right. So combine conversation. We'll get to Tennessee volunteers with Adam Sparks and some narrative busting. I can't wait for this because there's going to be so many stupid narratives. So I'm already going to get out ahead of the curve here and tell people to stop with the narratives. Uh, but the combine. Um, can I stop you for a second and just tell everyone listening that this grumpy conversation is just right on brand because before we started recording this, Braden just ran and chased someone quite literally off of his front lawn. I so to be fair, I didn't chase them off my front lawn. I guided him in the direction he needed to go look to fix which was the away problem. from your grass. 
No, 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 the grass was a non-factor. He was walking down the wrong side of the house to fix a problem because we had a tree removed by the Nashville Electric mm -hmm. Service and they removed it in a way that tore down some lines and those lines are now being fixed. But none of this is on my property. So I had to direct the person to the right side of the property to where the line was. Anyway. I'll, yeah, Na um, Nashville Electric Service does not have my vote. So I will side with you on this one. Keep going. Yeah, anyway, anyway. All right, what are we talking about? Combine? Combine. Combine. All right, so a bunch of, uh, like, hundreds of players are going to go run around in their underwear in Indianapolis. And this has been said a million times. But, Aaron, the most, the two most important parts of the Combine for any athlete are the conversations and interviews for both sides, the player and the teams, in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. When you actually get to sit down and get to know somebody, imagine that shocking development. And the medical evaluations – are, those are the only two things that really I care about. I do not watch the combine. I do not find it. I do not find the underwear Olympics to be a consumable piece of visual content. I just don't care. Um, do you watch the combine? Are you a fan of the combine? Do you enjoy the underwear Olympics? Um, I am not a big combine spectator. I have been to the combine because I was doing a documentary style piece on one of the Vanderbilt guys and he went in 2019. Yes. Jawan Williams, who ended up getting drafted to the Patriots. Um, Friend of I, the pod. Yeah. yeah, we had him on the pod. Yeah. It's great. Um, I'm not a big fan. And I think especially the more I know, the less of a fan I am <laughs> um, being there with them. I kind of saw really what all these guys were prepped for by their agents, which just the prep work that the agents were having to put in um, to tell these guys about what to expect was disturbing to me. Um, sample questions or sample topics that might be brought up like, Hey, if they're bringing this up in an interview to you, I mean, there was stuff about prepping these guys for um, they have, they think they have reason to believe that your sexuality falls this way. This is not directed at Juwan. I overheard this, these conversations, thankfully not directed at him. Cause I probably would have punched someone. Cause I love that kid, but at all these just conversations like this all around me, this is what's going to happen. They're going to bring up that your mom did this and they're, they're almost doing this. You know, they kind of, I think spin it in a way that they want to get you rattled and see how you react, but button pushing should not be what you're, future employer, potential future employers doing. Uh, you're not allowed to do that in any other job space. Um, questions about race, sexuality, um, anything, your parents' history, um, previous addictions, just like these kind of effed up questions. And then, you know, you also put them out there like cattle, like you're saying in their underwear and like turn around and, you know, look at their back. And it's like, this isn't, they're not show horses, <laughs> like potential employees for your organ. But I mean, they are treated like that in a lot of ways. And then just the scheduling, everything's just made to throw them off. And for guys where their entire future, some of them has been riding on making it in athletics. It's, it seems cruel to me for lack of a better word. Cause you know, you're supposed to run a 40 at 1 PM. All of a sudden your times changed to 7 PM, but you were up until 2 AM doing interviews. They're trying to keep you awake. It just, it almost seems like a weird form of hazing that I find unnecessary. Um, and I think that guys now guys are 
opting out of doing it. And I think we're going to see it lose a little bit of its steam, although it's not on TV. It might lose a little bit of its steam as guys at the very highest positions are choosing not to participate fully. And that, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like a team is going to pick the best player. Yeah. And, and I went on a rant. Sorry. No, 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 no. It's it's fantastic. Rant by you. Excellent. If I had an applause button where I could push the button and get the applause, like I, I, I would do that. I think it's well done. I, I think the, the, it's been pretty well documented, like the sexuality questions. And I don't remember if it was Justin Blackman or Des Bryant, but one of those Oklahoma state receivers where they were asked about like the mom and sort of like her previous job, you know, being a little, you know, seedy or whatever. And like it, you know, that kind of stuff. It, it's so wildly unprofessional. Like you said, it would never make it like you would be fired instantly. If you asked a question about someone's sexuality in, in a job interview. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, and it's, it's, and even the way that it's been done in the past is it's not like, can you talk a little bit about your sexual orientation? It's like things to get guys. Do you have a girl? Up. Do you have a girlfriend? Or like, I heard you were a blank. Are you a fucking blank? Like that, I, I love that I just said the F word and then said blank after it. <laughs> Are you <laughs> a fucking blank? A blanking blank? Oops. Well, no, listen, listen. Sorry, I, mom. This is a true story, Aaron. On this show, the F word is not fuck. You, you, like, in fact, in my life, I don't know about you, but in my life, the F word is not that F word. It's a different mm -hmm. F word. And I don't ever say that F word. because you One's know, worse than the other, and it's not yeah, the one that I said. Yeah, exactly. Because it's mean. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's, it's honestly nice. just nasty. It's so, it, th and they're the, making it so much money off of it. So, like, I know, I know. So, that, that stuff is, it's wildly I, unprofessional. I don't, I, I sort of, you, you raise an interesting point about putting young athletes, young people into stressful situations to check whether or not they, their composure level. I, I'm, I'm a little bit more okay with, trying to find out how composed you can stay in a tough situation. Like if I was running a military, I don't know, mm -hmm. unit battalion, I don't know what the right term is, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But, but I would want to make sure before I go into battle that a bunch of 22 year olds knew how to handle themselves under quote unquote pressure. Let's just call it for lack of yeah. a better phrase. So I'm okay with them try trying to get them out of their element, get them out of their comfort zone, see how they handle stressors, see how they handle things that maybe would cause them to, you know, heart rates to go up and for decision-making to become more difficult. Like I'm, I'm okay with all of that. I think a lot of it is, is sort of how you do it and the topics that you do it with, I think is, is, is really stupid. Um, on top of all of that, the actual physical, you know, element of the combine to me is feels pretty worthless. Like I know it's not, but I, I, just off the top of my head, like, the 40 time every sec fan knows who troy williamson is played at south carolina ran like a 4-2 got drafted in the top 10 and never really was anything in the nfl how about matt jones quarterback for arkansas ends up testing really highly and you know goes in the first round as a wide receiver out of arkansas i think he also might have enjoyed the nose candy a little too much but Ooh. but like but that was a giant combine creation the combine will create these guys and I, I i always use brandon spikes as an example linebacker at florida won the national title with tebow and the urban meyer teams he ran a five flat 40 
He ended up playing for Belichick and the Patriots as a starting middle linebacker for like six or seven years. Like, you don't tell me that his game tape and his football speed wasn't better than his 40 time at, at the combine. And I'm not talking about guys who have like major personality flaws. Like yeah. Vontez, Vontez Burfecht, famously five-star kid, went to Arizona State, you know, Clearly, Vontez Perfect is messed up. <laughs> and the right. reason he fell in the draft was because of behavioral issues. I'm not talking about behavioral issues. I'm talking about a linebacker falling because he runs a 5-0-40 a or mm -hmm. a 5.140. I think Joe Hayden, famously right out of Florida, I think Joe Hayden ran like a 4-6 and it hurt his draft stock. Turns out Joe Hayden's pretty good at football. <laughs> like, just mm -hmm. I don't know why this is hard for NFL people. Like, I think the best ones watch the tape. Strange thing about football. Strange thing about good football players, Aaron, they're good at football. Yeah. And it's interesting that you brought up Belichick. Cause I kept thinking about him, not just because Juwan ended up at the Patriots and I was, you know, following that so closely, but because there is a history of, I mean, just, he doesn't make decisions based on that. Right. <laughs> I mean, and, right. and there's a lot of guys that run, I mean, went to Exos to visit them all and do video at the Exos training facility in Arizona where all of, a lot of these guys go and train and every, all their nutrition's perfect and they have this perfect schedule and nothing goes into their body that's bad and they're running these amazing 40 times and whatever and you know their verticals improved by however much and then they go to the combine right. and they just can't they can't perform half the Juwan. He didn't run nearly as fast as he was capable, did way, way, way better at pro day. Um, so it's just, it's not, I, I guess I hear what you're saying about, you know, knowing if having time to interview and every team is going to want as much time to be around a potential player as possible, but taking these stats that you're getting from the combine as gold is just yeah. not the move. And it's uh, it, think about the fact that there's also 50 hours of yeah. live television from the <laughs> combine. So you can do the money math and tell us why it's really happening. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, there you go. Exactly. How about Arian Foster out of Tennessee ran like a four, seven as a running back. That's not fast. It's not. Yeah. And everyone's it's not like, fast oh, for a few positions. didn't get drafted, had four pro bowls for the Houston Texans. So I'm like, interested just, to see how he did at pro day. I need to look that up. Yeah, I should check that out too. The, the, like one of the guys this year is um, is uh, is it Damian Pierce, I believe, for um, for Florida, who didn't even like didn't start a ton at Florida, wasn't like a starting player, and he's going to end up being like like I guarantee you that guy. He probably will test okay, but he. We'll, we'll see, like maybe he doesn't run a great 40 time gets falls down the draft. And all of a sudden we're like talking about him as this great player. Mm -hmm. And and I just think it happens all the time. Just watch tape on guys, watch people play, <laughs> like, like watch a guy play football. And if you see a guy play football, that is like, like even AJ Brown, who was a second round pick, he, like that guy was a monster at Ole Miss. He didn't have the same sort of measurables that DK Metcalf had, but AJ Brown is an exceptional talent and, and yeah. is going to be an all pro now because he's just, it, it, it's the combine is so silly. It's so silly. Now, if you want to use it, if you, you know, some guys haven't gotten to show what they can do on, on tape as much because of whatever a school that they were playing at or whatever. I mean, I guess if you, I just, you, you don't see that many opportunities, 
that many circumstances of guys running their way into a certain round. It has happened, but they were already teetering. It's just not that useful to move yourself up in theory. I mean, I mean, not everyone's DK Metcalf, which by the way, that was, I saw him actually at a training camp and I've never seen anything like that in person of him running that 40, knowing that big should be able to run that fast, but there's just, I guess if it really served a purpose of giving people a window that weren't going to otherwise have one, maybe I would see more value, but it just doesn't really do that. Yeah. And and what's funny is, and like, I've got a a bunch of these names listed, written, written down here, Mm -hmm. like Jason Peters famously played tight end at Arkansas, didn't do very well at the combine switched to tackle. And he became like one of the best, offensive tackles in the league how about jarvis landry at, at wide receiver at lsu yep. and like ran like a four seven and again he's not a superstar in the nfl but he's a damn good player um and and i'll say how about every kentucky linebacker <laughs> just just all mm-hmm. of them none of those guys go and test particularly well danny trevathan um and i feel like maybe it, it it's actually caught up to kentucky because now kentucky players are being valued more in the draft it's almost like it took like 10 years for the NFL to realize, oh, wait a second, these Kentucky players are really good. On yeah. the, in particular at linebacker, because I want to say like um, Avery Williamson played here in, in Nashville. Wesley Woodyard, like these guys, they, they didn't test particularly well. They didn't get drafted highly, but they're damn good players. And now they've got a linebacker going in the first round. They got Josh Allen going in the first round. So I think it's almost like you, the, 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 the NFL people have to like catch up to what we all know in the SEC, which is Mark Stoops is doing a great job developing talent. Right. Yeah. They just look different. And I'm sure the coaches that um, I'm sure coaches like Belichick are like, you know, want everyone to look away, like, let it be a diversion. Like, Oh, you want to, you want to base things off just the combine their 40 time at pro day. Go ahead. I'm going to actually look at the stuff that matters. Um, And a lot of that is history. Like you're saying, like when you watch guys come out of Kentucky that can perform at that level consistently year after year, there's, probably something to it yep uh and i guess we could just point to tim tebow <laughs> also isn't it funny that's this is true um and it's also um i had forgotten that lamar jackson uh didn't wouldn't run or jump when he went to the combine because he didn't want them to evaluate him and try to put him in any position besides quarterback yeah good for him i think that's I think that's a, (laughs) like a, a power move and I love it. (laughs) Um, all right. So I, I just, with the combine, I wanted to vent about the combine and I just, there's just so many really, really good. Like if a corner runs two tenths of a second, too slow or a linebacker, like, especially on defense where it's all about recognition, reaction, diagnosis, like it's all about instinct and I will take the guy who runs a tenth, two tenths, three tenths slower in the three cone shuttle drill, but over, can predict what's going to happen. But because he knows football, like yeah, that, I, I will take that guy a hundred times out of a hundred, and there'll be plenty of them in the draft this year, uh, especially from the SEC. So, did we already right. name the guys SEC guys that aren't participating in the combine? No, we have not. Go for it. Um, it is Matt Corral, Derek Stingley, and Evan Neal. None of them. I don't know if I think they're the only ones. Which Evan Neal right now projected to be number one overall. Matt Corral has a chance to be a first round draft pick, depending on if somebody falls in love with the guy or not. And Stingley's the best corner in the draft. So right. there you go. 
Joe Burrow and Chase Young came out fine. So I think <laughs> these guys are like, all right, that's we don't need to yeah, do it. We're we're not even to the we're we're already past skipping bowl games. Like it took me for years to try to convince people listening, like, hey guys, skipping bowl games doesn't matter. NFL, NFL, oh, but it's a it's a sign that you don't care about your team. Like, no, it's not. It's a sign that you have a smart financial it's advisor. It's a sign that you want to make four million dollars right. more right leonard fournette christian mccaffrey both got drafted very highly because they didn't play in bowl. like it, the point is is that there's no correlation to sitting out a bowl game and the nfl liking you or not and yeah. now we've gone now we've taken it one step further you can sit out the combine <laughs> and still get drafted and be thought of very highly because guess what you're being evaluated on your tape on your on what you do in a game that's what that's what matters. So yep. People want to win more than they want you to participate in the combine. So they'll take you anyway. Yep. There you have it. You Matt, do you. Matt Jones, Troy Williamson, Tim Tebow, my three favorite combine busts, where they go to the combine, <laughs> they explode, and then people are like, Oh, I never watched the tape though. <laughs> he didn't really do much in, in college. Uh, okay. Uh, a couple of pieces of notes here. Just a, a one piece of news to, to keep an eye on, and that is Jaden Daniels, transfer from Arizona State, very, very talented player. There's rumors he's been tied to Missouri. If Missouri gets Jaden Daniels, the, the quarterback class in this league automatically gets even more impressive. And so I just wanted to point that out. Keep an eye on Jaden Daniels. I'm a huge fan of, of his talent. He did not develop in 2021, but he had tons of ability in 19 and 20. And I think he could be a really big get for a program like Eli Drinkowitz. I think he's a really, really good player. So um, keep an eye on him. He could, by the time you hear this, he could have already announced to go somewhere else. But if he goes to Missouri, that that is a game-changing decision for uh, the Missouri Tigers if they were to get him. So keep an eye on that. And I know you noticed some news on the uh, out of the Rick, Nick Saban Rehabilitation Clinic. Someone needs to copyright that. Um, Todd Grantham is going to Bama to be an analyst. Wow. So maybe he'll learn not to blitz on third down. Well. It would probably, I'm sure he'll get whipped into shape real quick, but <laughs> all right. Uh, yes. A couple of quick pieces. And again, not a lot going on, uh, mm -hmm. not a lot going on in the world th these days in, in sec football. Uh, so before we get to Adam sparks and part of the reason that I wanted to, to do this was number one, we might just do this all off season, just narrative bust because, okay. because I just, I can't stand the narratives out there especially when they get really, really like cliche and predictable. And we're already starting to see some of that in 2022. And we're not even really in the off season yet. You know, it's coming. Of course it's coming and it comes every single year. And I was taught, and you'll hear this with Adam and I later on in the conversation where he was like, you remember that year they won a couple games and people were like, Oh, they're going to be chasing down Georgia in the East. And this was Jeremy Pruitt. Jeremy Pruitt's team where they won a couple of games and all of a sudden I'm having to listen to like douchey media members be like Tennessee's back question mark can they contend for an SEC East title question mark and I'm like no you beat Missouri and Kentucky stop stop you beat South Carolina stop so I wanted to throw out a couple of narratives before we get to Adam Sparks um, to talk about the Tennessee Volunteers and get a, give us a state of the union I thought I'd throw out a few narratives and see how how much you get annoyed by them because you get okay. annoyed, you get annoyed very quickly. So I do. I think I get, I get annoyed by this less than you do. Cause I haven't been, I mean, you've been yeah, yeah. writing and doing, having to deal with this. I can, I can normally ignore bad journalism, but you can't. <laughs> Fair enough. Cause I worked in TV and not so, this. So 
So one of them stems from last week's episode where we had Scott Rabelais on. Recommend going and listening to that and or watching it on the YouTubes. Make sure you check out the YouTubes. Rate, review, subscribe. Go to Jasper's. Um, the the Brian Kelly is not a cultural fit. Like we've already had our fun with it on the show. We joked about like the accent and we've joked about you know everything. We've had some thoughtful conversations about his ability to recruit. I think those are totally fair. But the whole like, oh, Brian Kelly doesn't know, understand the bayou or the swamp or the Cajun culture. And 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 Scott Rabelais pointed this out last week, like the the best modern SEC coach at LSU was Nick Saban. And he had no cultural ties to Louisiana at all. So I, I do think the his success or failure is not tied to a cultural fit at LSU. And I'm already tired of that one. That's that's fair. I mean, that's you, if you're tired of that, then. Well, it's not going to matter if he wins, so that'll go away. If he Bing, wins, it'll go away. Bing, that's the also, point. That's why it's a stupid narrative, because you're right. He does, even though he may not be a quote-unquote cultural fit, and he can't say, what did he say wrong? Family? I don't know. Um, don't care. He does seem like a guy that would wear purple to me. Like, he's a purple dude, so maybe he'll look good in that. Because he's like, just, yeah. It's just like, <laughs> just. He's an acquired taste as a person. There's no question. Take it from me, I know. So we're men in purple. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. But it doesn't mean he's a bad football coach. It doesn't we mean we know that, he's not that. Right. It doesn't mean he can't take a, a collection of pretty decent athletes at LSU and make them a good team. He could. The question about his success or failure relative to Nick Saban in Alabama, in particular, is can he recruit the best athlete? And we don't know that. And that I don't think that's a cultural issue. That's just a do people want to play for you? Do they trust you? Can you close? Like, that's just a, like, again, if you win, the cultural fit is completely irrelevant. So that, that's just an example of a narrative yep. that, that we're, that's already out there that I can't, can't stand. Keep going. Um, Jimbo Fisher, this narrative that because of how last season played out for Texas A&M, that Jimbo Fisher's never going to get it done. Like he can't get it done at AM. He's never going to get over the hurdle. He can't look what happened last year. Why are they losing to the here's the narrative? If Texas AM can't beat the Mississippi schools, how are they going to beat Alabama? And I want to be like, well, they did that literally last season. They beat Alabama and didn't beat them. That was the best Ole Miss team we've seen in 50 years. Mm-hmm. He didn't have his starting quarterback. They were fifth in the nation the year before. So they were one spot away from the playoff the year before. He's won a national title at Florida state. I do not understand this narrative of like, well, if you can't beat the Mississippi schools, how's he going to win the West? I just think that's, that's super dumb. I think if people are saying that and they are, it's, they have, they need to look inward and ask themselves why, because there's no tangible reason that you should be shouting from the rooftops that Texas A&M can never get it done unless you want the potential of being very wrong. Or, if you would like to raise questions about their ability to win the national championship, let's do it in a smart and intelligent way. Like let's say, well, I don't know if he's ever going to be able to out recruit Nick Saban year in and year out. And his offense is maybe not as fast as it needs to be. Like let's evolve the offense a little bit. He's got to replace Mike Elko along the defensive line. Like there's That's a way- pretty long title for an article. Don't you think? <laughs> That's why it doesn't. It doesn't get clicked. My there articles, it is. There my it article, is. My articles don't get clicks because they're too long. Um, no, <laughs> let's I, think rationally about Jimbo Fisher's ability to blah. It's like, um, oh, that's not going to get clicked on. <laughs> so, but like again, you can make a case why AM won't win the national championship in 2022. Like, that's mm-hmm. fine. 
you can have that. Let's have that really smart and fun football conversation. But just the oh, you can't beat all, you can't beat the Mississippi schools. Uh, how are you going to win anything else? Like that's just I, I can't stand that one already. So that's fair. You? Okay, so that, there's there's one. Um, th- this one is I, I may even have been guilty of this in the past, and I'm maybe I'm just starting to rethink it. And Adam mentions this a little bit later on in our our conversation about Tennessee as well, which is that when you hire a coach and sort of things go well in the first year, like Shane Beamer at South Carolina mm-hmm. and like Josh Heupel at Tennessee that there is an assumption amongst the fans in particular that you are automatically just going to keep taking steps, that progress is inevitable for your coach at your school. And to me, and especially in the NFL, but even in college football, unless you have a roster entirely made up of like sophomores and freshmen, Mm -hmm. success is not linear. It's not a, it's not a linear thing. It, it, it kind of waxes and wanes and it there's growth and then there's a step back and then there's two steps forward. And like, I think Tennessee fans just assume that because they won seven, they're going to win nine this year. And do I do you and think they really assume that. I think there is a lot more pressure, a ton more pressure on Josh Heupel this summer than there was. And I think there was no pressure last summer. Yeah. It would be much healthier and less likely to disappoint if people could switch that mentality of constant progression, which for all the reasons you just said is not a uh, realistic expectation, especially because unless you have all sophomores and freshmen, people are coming in and out, especially of the line, the guys on the line, you lose upperclassmen leadership in those positions, especially the offensive line is it's those guys are extremely hard to replace. And they're not who you think of. You're thinking of your quarterbacks and your flashy offensive players, but it's the line. Um, but it would be much healthier if people could get to a mentality of, I really hope we can win seven again <laughs> and give that like at least two years, just give maintenance more credit than than we're giving it yeah because that's a huge thing not falling backwards is also still for progression because if you can come in year one win seven games with what you were started to work what you came in working with and you can do it again repeating the same thing is is still very telling well, so don't and, get greedy yeah and and it's not that we can't have a like the fact that tennessee returns a lot of its offensive line its top receiver and its star quarterback okay fine okay the offense should be as good and could be could take a step forward, right? Like the quarterback is back. Like if we look at Kentucky, Kentucky's they won ten games last year. They didn't win ten the year before that, but they won ten the year before that. And so that's even like an up and back and an up and back. And what you're looking to do because you've lost two coordinators, but you have your quarterback back, but you're losing some star offensive and defensive weapons. Is mate? It's it's this program maintenance. Shane Beamer, part of the reason they won six games and got to a bowl game is because Auburn and Florida were dumpster fires with at the end of the season. Yeah. And so you, you don't get the same situation the next year. I, I I don't have a problem with a fan base logically looking at a, a roster and saying, all right, we should be better next year. Like, right. like, like based on like sort of like some actual facts. Like fact, yeah. Right. My issue is like the assumption that we mm-hmm. are all just progressing forward and going to win more games the next year just because. And that and I don't think that's that's not how it works. At the root of that assumption is also the underestimation of what it takes to win six or seven games in the SEC. You already have like a, a, a core, 
a core value that's our core belief that's off, which is that that is to be expected and understanding what it takes to win seven games in the sec. If people really knew um, what that looks like inside of a program or to these guys or coaches, then there might be a little bit more leniency, but it's sec. Everyone's crazy as shit. So here, here's another one for Tennessee that drives me nuts. And I don't know why, okay. I don't know why this is even a thing, but there is this narrative and maybe it's because we're in Tennessee that, that like, Oh, every year Tennessee gets picked to win everything. And then they, they always disappoint. And I want to be like, when has Tennessee been picked to do anything? I am not reading the same news as them. That They were picked to win the East like one time in the last like 15 years. And, and that's it. And they didn't, they finished with like nine wins and finished second or whatever. But like, I just don't, I, Oh, Notre Dame is always overrated. Notre Dame always overrated because that people want to sell magazines. And I'm like, or they just finish in the top 10 every year. So we rank yeah. them in the top 10 every year. Like, I, I don't know. There's, so here's the, here's the last one. We'll, we'll wrap up. Cause I'm starting to get angry. Um, <laughs> th- this one is, it hasn't started yet, but it will start when the preseason rankings come out. So I'm really calling my shot on this one, hopefully. Okay. And I can already hear Georgia fans. I can already hear you guys. I can hear you screaming and yelling over the top of your national championship ring that you're not getting the same treatment as Alabama. Like that Alabama wins the national title and they come back and they're automatically number one in the nation and everybody just assumes that Alabama is going to reload. And why, why is Georgia picked number three in the nation? <laughs> or, or number two, why is Alabama number one? We just beat them in the national championship game. And I can already, when the polls start to come out and the preseason magazines start to come out, I can already hear Georgia fans complaining that we, we are going to pick Alabama ahead of Georgia, uh, hypothetically here. Mm-hmm. And without, without allegedly, dis- without alleged. discussing, <laughs> without discussing the nuance of the fact that they have Bryce young and Will Anderson and all these other pieces back. And you lost like 12 players to the NFL draft Yes, you're loaded. Yes, you're going to reload too. But maybe just you're not quite as good as Alabama. It's not because you're Georgia. It's not because no. we love Alabama. It's because we just think that they might be a little bit better. And I can already hear the Georgia fans saying, well, why don't we won the national championship? Why aren't we number one? Because you haven't done it as much. Well, that's, and that's also no, true. Go, going, going um, I guess, against what you're saying is, I mean, history does repeat itself. Not that you're not that you were saying it the opposite of that, but you're like, you know, it's not because I don't know what you said, but just made me feel like we need to get off here. I'm so losing trying, my words. So you're trying to come up with a way to disagree with me and you can't. No, I <laughs> know I do that with ease, <laughs> just I, I, brain fog. No, I history does tend to repeat itself. And Alabama has a history of winning at the highest on the biggest stage. So a couple more repeats and maybe the argument will be a little bit more valid, but also just don't do that to yourself. Just enjoy this year and let it be what it is. And and also Georgia, you're going to be really freaking good this year. Like it's not, if you're pick number four in the nation, who cares? Yeah. (laughs) Like who cares? Like if you go out and win the division and beat Bama and play in the playoff, like most people will pick you again. You'll have a great chance to win the national title. And the off-season narrative will be completely irrelevant, and you will have worked yourself up into a frenzy for no reason at all. Yeah, and do you really want? I mean, I know you want to go in ranked number one, but I wouldn't. 
Who cares? I'd rather pleasantly surprise people. Yeah. The, the, oh, here, like here's an NFL one in Nashville that drives me crazy. Like all offseason long, everyone debated whether or not Ryan Tannehill was a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And I want to be like, who cares? <laughs> like, who, like, what does it matter if he's number eight or number 13? Like, who, like, what does it matter? What matters is can he throw touchdowns in the playoffs? And we know the answer. The answer is no. Sorry, Aggies. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Aggies fans. Womp, womp. <laughs> uh, check mark for those of us who didn't think Ryan Tannehill was a top 10 quarterback all summer long. Check. Yep. All right. Uh, I think that's about it. Anything else? Any other narratives you, you want to debunk? You, you sort of debunked all the player conversation narratives about the combine. You've already kind of done that. Yeah. I don't need, I, I let you rant about this. This is your passion project. Oh, I'm so I'm, I, I, I'm going to turn it into like a whole thing on the show. Like every off season, we're just going to, every week we're going to try to debunk another narrative. Also, yeah. I hate the, I hate the term narrative too. Like, Oh, you should just take a shot every time someone says the word on the show. Um, be well, a well, lot of shots today. The narrative around Kirby Smart's offense is that it has to evolve for them to win a national title. Switch it out with storyline so you don't throw up again. Hey, listen, <laughs> I I powered my way through that show and then got sick. Okay, mm, I threw up too. Did you really? Yeah, I always <laughs> threw up when I have migraines. Lots we were. We were not exaggerating about not being Ooh. good last week. Yeah, it was I me me and the daughter took uh we 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 DNP'd on uh on Wednesday. I did not play on Wednesday, <laughs> neither did the daughter. Um all right, that that just about does it for us uh this week on the show. Um we got a lot of stuff planned for you. We'll continue our state of the union uh next week. So make sure you come back and, and hang out with us. Check out the YouTube page as well. You got uh Jaspers, our great title sponsor, so make sure you go to Jaspers. Um, where it is a nutritional stop on your way to greatness. Uh, make sure you follow an Aaron all over the Twitters and the socials as, as well as uh, myself uh, also uh, at Braden Gall, uh, at the Aaron Dugan, at Aaron underscore Dugan, at 440 Sports. I think I got it all. When we come back, you will hear our conversation. State of the Union for the Tennessee Volunteers with the Knoxville New Sentinels, Adam Sparks. Fringe Element is an SEC football podcast year-round, I might add. That is, in fact, brought to you by the wonderful and amazing folks at... Jasper's. It's um, it's a restaurant that you can go to. You can eat there. This is also <laughs> the marketing materials I was sent by Jasper's just oh, yesterday. It says it's a restaurant. Well, yeah, and you would feel like they wouldn't feel the need to say that. It's like, we knew that. But they really, they spell it out for me. Yeah. Because they can't always they serve potentially food maybe it, trust. Can you hear that? In, in the marketing um, pamphlets that we get, because they actually right. they actually just spread the pamphlets Every week. around Nashville. They just drop them from a helicopter, actually. Right, which um, is what I read off of each week. Yeah, they're pamphlets. And it says that they, in fact, serve food at this restaurant. So yeah, that's what the restaurant's for in the pretty, pamphlet. Pretty shocking development, actually. Yeah. And these pamphlets are helpful because they tell you all sorts of other things that Jasper's does like, um, serve drinks. They have a store. Yep. You can park there and it's all in the pamphlet and the, you can win your own pamphlet. Oh, um, in this week's Jasper's pamphlet contest (laughs) sponsored by us. That you can win it in. Hang on. So this is a podcast brought to you by Jaspers. Yeah. But the pamphlet pamphlet competition 
for Jaspers is brought to you by Fringe Element. Fringe Element. Sports. And when the 440 Sports Network as well. Okay. All right. Yes. And we, yeah, we're sponsoring that and we will be handing out those prizes. It is awarded to whoever can send the meanest tweet to Braden. Who? There'll be what, five what winners. The, what are these, what are these prizes you speak of? What are they? Do tell, they, Aaron. They are, no, they are the Jaspers marketing pamphlet. That's the prize. Oh, that's the prize? Yes. And Man, I did Jaspers. not. Yeah. They, yeah. they you, Jasper, you guys are a bunch of heroes at Jasper's. <laughs> H- Get out, us out of here. <laughs> hand, handing out free, free parking and free pamphlets for sending mean tweets to, to me. That is, you guys are truly one of a kind. Um, go to Jasper's, everybody. It's a restaurant with food and drinks. And pamphlets. Adam, great to see you, man. How are you, sir? Welcome to the show, my friend. Good to be on. I'm, uh, you know, from my time covering MTSU and Vandy, it's my first year covering UT, and I'm discovering the the joy of uh, writing football off-season stories all year long. So it's it's wonderful to be in March and writing football 24-7. I miss the basketball and baseball a little bit, but this is a, this is a, a, a welcome change of a, a change of my role in the off season. Yeah. So, uh, what's on your schedule there, man? What do you, what, let's just dive right into that. What, what are you writing now that you're football year round, Tennessee football comes off a great season. They're, they're well, great relative to sort of, you know, where they've been in the past. Um, recruiting wasn't as perfect as they would love it to be. What, 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 are, what are Tennessee fans interested in hearing right now from you? Um, Transfer portal, a lot of people care about. That's obviously a little dormant right now until we get to the spring. Um, recruiting somewhat for Josh Hopple's first full year recruiting, uh, and that's been okay. I think they're swinging for the fences a whole lot with some five-star guys that they're probably not going to get, but you have to try. Um, you know, they held together a lot of the staff. Uh, I mean, they only lost one guy, wide receivers coach Cody Burns. That was good. Nobody else in the SEC retained their full staff. So the fact that Josh Apple did that was good. Um, it, you know, it's it's really sort of, if you look at the state of the program, it's really in some, somewhat of a holding pattern because the NCAA case is not decided. Um, that being said, the wind has kind of shifted toward uh, – you know, uh, mitigated damage in that. Uh, a lot of the NCAA legislation has moved toward not penalizing teams um, that, uh, you know, that self-report. Uh, it's more uh, more of the wind is turned towards uh, penalizing coaches or so-called bad actors. That would also be in Tennessee's favor. Obviously, NIL is going on now, so it, it seems a little strange to hit teams, hit programs really hard that did um what's now allowed uh, and so I, if they can get out of the ncaa cloud i think the state of the program is pretty good and it's looking like they may get out of it again with limited damage but if they have to cut roster spots which that's something else we're we're looking at um they're at 80 right now you get 85 if they're if they're at 80 or 78 or something like that going into the season and they lose one or two games because of those roster spots that they don't have and the opponent has then you're going to say, well, seven and five isn't good enough. You could have been nine and three. And I, I think that's that that's sort of where the holding pattern is of how much this NCAA case and its fallout will have on the season. 
Do, do you get a sense of a timeline on this? I know projecting when the NCAA will or will not be done with something is a fool's errand um, for the vast majority of our lifetimes. But I guess, do you get a sense of when any of, and, and, and if it does come down a decision, whatever, is that just the end of it that we're just sort of done with that, that whole Jeremy Pruitt thing then forever? Well, there's sort of, uh, I think there's three, maybe four paths that you can go into uh, for NCAA legislation, and um, at least two of those. One of those is they just you just agree on what the penalties are and what the violations are, and then it's done. There's another where you agree what the violations are, but you disagree on the penalties, and you appeal it. Um, and then there's another where you don't agree on anything and it drags out for a long time. I don't think Tennessee's <laughs> going to go the third route, probably the second route um, where you have a little bit of appeals process. It's going to depend on how, how stringent the penalties are. Um, but I, you know, as far as when we uh, get, when you see the notice of allegations and we get that on the record, Tennessee says nothing off the record, Tennessee shrugs their shoulders and say, I, I throws their hands up in there and say, I, I have no idea. Uh, and, and they really don't. It's, yeah. I guess it's a good thing that a lot of Tennessee's current administration really are ignorant to NCAA cases. And, and I don't mean dumb, I mean ignorant in that they don't have really a lot of experience. You ask them about how do these things usually go? And a lot of the new, new administration under, under Danny White that came in after the NCAA violations allegedly occurred, you know, he, he doesn't know because he hasn't been caught cheating and programs under him haven't been caught cheating. That's a good thing, I suppose. To, but um, that's why you get a, a whole lot of the I don't knows um, from Tennessee. I, I heard for a little while that they were expecting in any day or any week. And, you know, that that's that's that doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. You yeah. don't you don't usually predict what the NCAA is going to do. Nobody does. So, yeah, I know that's, it's a, I tried for 15 years. It doesn't work. Um, so you put all this together and, and you put a team that went, you know, offensively got 12, 13, 14 points better than it was under the previous regime. An adult is in charge. We've, we've covered all of this ad nauseum, right? Like the recruiting was okay. Not great, but solid. The NCAA stuff seems to be closing in on being in the rearview mirror at least. And you, you've got a starting quarterback returning who's now established as the guy who is one of the better players in the conference at his position. So you start to put all these things together and Tennessee fans, I'm assuming are going to enter the summer with a very different feeling about their program than they've had in probably years. Right? Yeah. I mean, one thing that Josh Hopple is going to have to face this coming season that he didn't face last season is expectations. Now that's a good thing because there's only a few programs in the country that when you get a little bit better, they expect you to get a lot better. And Tennessee is one of those. That, that's a good thing. Um, but he is going to face that, and he didn't face it last year. Last year it was, wow, look how many points they scored. Jeremy Pruitt couldn't do that. Well, look, the defense we thought would be awful, but it was competitive. Um, the crowd was still there in the fourth quarter. You know, who'd have thunk it? <laughs> um, you know, I mean, uh, everything was – I mean, getting to a bowl – was you know there was a minor celebration and to some extent there there should have been but but that's over and every Tennessee coach if they have a little bit of success faces some expectations after that and it usually comes in different forms the Josh Hopple form of expectations is going to be you know the memory of this last season is that they were just great on offense just every game they just came out and scored 50 every game that's your memory that only happened that happened a lot of times but not every time so 
if they don't score a lot of points, if the offense uh, hits a lull, um, there's going to be, uh, you know, a little bit of gritting of the teeth. What happened to this great offense? If Hendon Hooker doesn't play well, your memory is going to tell you that he was great in every game, which he wasn't. Um, you know, the, the, the opportunity, I think, for Tennessee also can't be lost in this. Uh, Florida is down. Now, Tennessee lost to Florida last year, but Florida's down. The door's open there. Billy Napier's got to get his guys in there. He's got to get the roster rebuilt. You play Florida early, as you always do. So there's a chance to beat Florida. Pitt lost Kenny Pickett. Uh, now, they replaced him with a USC transfer who's going to be probably fine, but he's not Kenny Pickett. The door's open to win that game. LSU has Brian Kelly, who's going to rebuild that roster, and I'm sure they're going to be really good in time. Are they going to be really good in the year one? I don't know. He had some wins in the portal in terms of guys getting in the defensive secondary. They'll have a lot of athletes. But that game is more gettable this year than it usually would be. You, you put all that together – and you can make a case that if Tennessee makes some improvements in a handful of areas, they they could be nine and three next year. They could also, you know, maybe not be as good against probably an improved South Carolina team. Maybe they don't beat Kentucky. I think they probably will, but maybe you don't get over the hump with Florida and you're a seven and five team. And seven and five this next year will will be received a lot differently than seven and five was in Josh Hopple's first year. Uh, you know, nine and three, I guess, is the ceiling. Seven and five would be the floor. And each time there's just a minor setback or you lose one of those games that I just I just named, there's going to be a little bit of fair backlash. And I think that's something that Josh Hopwell is going to is going to have to face. From, from a roster management standpoint, are you have you learned anything yet enough in one recruiting class or? you know, how many players left in the portal last year and, and, and what they're doing or not doing this year. Have you learned enough about Josh Heupel's ability to manage a roster? He had questions at US, UCF about how, his, how he recruited. What have you learned about his ability to sort of manage the roster in just a short period of time? Boy, it's so hard to judge. Um, I mean, if you go back a year and say, what did he do in the transfer portal? He went and got Joe Milton, who ended up not being good enough to be the starting quarterback, and the guy that he inherited, Hinton Hooker, in the portal, um, ended up being a really, really good quarterback. So he he missed on that. He, he didn't need Joe Milton. He had the guy. If you look at the portal uh, this past year, he went after a defensive lineman and a wide receiver from uh, Wyoming, and and then the defensive, defensive lineman ended up at Florida State. The uh, wide receiver was coming to Tennessee – um, ended up going to Texas at the last minute. He he went for two guys and didn't get either one of them. Um, they got an offensive line lineman out of uh, uh, Florida, Gerald Mincy, backup lineman. We'll see if he contributes a lot. But so it's hard to tell in that because they haven't really had a lot of hits in the portal. But he's handicapped, I think, by the scholarship cuts. This is always going to be the asterisk for the first couple of years, maybe even the third year with Josh Hopple, is that yeah, but. If he didn't have the scholarship cuts and those restrictions, he could have done these other things. Um, there's been a number of guys that have left in the portal this offseason. I think behind closed doors, Tennessee's probably saying that that's fine. Most of the guys that left, you could afford to lose, and you need those roster spots, especially if you're not going to get to 85. Um, so the, there's he's handicapped by, by all those restrictions, so we don't really know. If you look at his um, recruiting high school kids, um, they were 24-7, had them 17th uh, class, uh, ranked class. That's fine. Top 15 should be where Tennessee is. 
top 12, maybe top 10 in time is where you want to be. Um, so th they did fine with what they had, but their best recruits were probably defensive linemen. You would think your best recruits are going to be, I mean, they, they did get a quarterback. They got a couple of wide receivers. I'm not saying that's they didn't get guys on offense, but they got some pretty good defensive linemen. And that's not what you think at all with Josh Hopple. So, I mean, the jury's still out. We're not really sure of what his, um, how, how much he can attract uh, talent. Um, he's got a pretty good staff, I think. I mean, Rodney Garner is D-line coach who was at Tennessee before, who was no well at Auburn and Georgia with bringing in good defensive linemen. He helped a lot in landing those edge rushers, those D-linemen. So if he's there long-term, maybe you can continue to do that and then add offensive pieces. But, um, you know, there, there are some obvious holes in the roster right now. I have some big questions if, if they can plug them, and I think that may be the difference between nine and three and seven and five. That was going to be my next question is just your, your general sense of where this roster is entering the, the season. All right, let's call, let's, call it the, let's call it the summer because obviously there's a lot of movement still to come before spring practice and after spring practice. But just, you know, where will this roster be in general as we enter the summer? Well, I'll be curious to see how much they lose out of the portal and bring into the portal. I think, again, behind closed doors, Tennessee wouldn't mind if two or three other guys left and went into the portal after spring practice. That would clear up some spots for them to bring guys in. It'll also tell us whether or not they feel like they can get to 85 under so-called self-imposed uh, uh, roster cuts, scholarship cuts. I don't think they'll get to 85. You, you hear a lot around the Tennessee program of, well, you know, after spring, they'll they'll go into the portal and they'll get a wide receiver and they'll get a corner and a safety and an edge rusher and another tackle. And I'm doing the math. I'm thinking you're, you're at 87. You know, if you bring all these guys, in. so it's not going to happen unless you lose the number of guys. Um, you know, it, if stability is, is valued, then they're in a pretty good spot. If retention is valued, they're in a pretty good spot because a lot of the key pieces from last year's team will be back. They'll have four starting offensive linemen. They have one of the running backs. They'll have their quarterback, obviously, back there, the top wide receiver. They have enough guys on their front seven back. So you can make the case that they retain enough from last year that they should be around where they were as long as they add uh, some good pieces. I mean, I, th there's two different categories of what they're done with adding their roster. There's the, uh, there's the category of there's a solution to what you lost on the roster. So, you know, wide receiver, they lost two other wide receivers. I think Jalen Hyde is going to be really good next year. Jimmy Callaway may be really good. I think there's solutions on the roster to filling the spots they lost at wide receiver. Justin Williams, the running back, they lost Tyon Evans. Justin Williams, the four-star guy they beat out Auburn for. I think in time, he's probably a pretty good running back. That's maybe a solution. Um, I, what I worry about more is the right tackle and pass defense, probably cornerback especially. Um, cause if you look back at the music city bowl, um, they, they struggled to run the ball to the right side. We all remember the, the goal line play Jalen Wright either did or didn't score. Uh, th they struggled <laughs> running to the right. Uh, Hinton hooker got pressured a lot, got hit, a, hit a few times from the right side. That's cause Cade Mays, the right tackle didn't play that game. They got burned deep. They got burned a lot in the passing game. Alante Taylor, their best corner did not play that game. Both of those guys are headed to the NFL. What did they do to plug right tackle and corner? I'm not so sure they've done a lot. I mean, they I mentioned they added Gerald Mincy from Florida. Maybe he's the guy. I don't think they have really a good option right now at right tackle. 
if they don't fill that spot, I worry about what they can do on the offensive line that could hamper what they did last year offensively. At corner, they added a junior college guy who's a three-star. He may be the guy. They've got a couple of the guys on the on the roster that can maybe improve and play up uh, and fill that spot. But, uh, you know, I worry about them defending the pass, and I worry about everything that do, they do on offense that would be hampered by right tackle. And so if you can fill those two spots, you're fine. But if you're trying to figure out how to keep your roster down, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be tight. You've got to go into the portal and make really, really good decisions. I was in Josh Heupel's office maybe a month ago when I was asking him about generally his strategy in the transfer portal. And uh, he said, we have to be very, very, very strategic. When we go in and go after a guy, he's got to be a guy that will impact immediately, that should have a chance to start. And we know exactly what we're getting out of him. It can't be a depth guy. It's got to be an impact guy. And that's the difference between them and a lot of the other teams I see in the SEC. So let's, let's finish up this conversation then with, again, it's, it's never too early to talk about expectations. You've already alluded to the fact that fans are going to have a different sense of pressure for Josh Heupel entering this season than they did last year, where they just were sort of happy with whatever happened uh, in particular on offense. Um, we know we, Butch Jones won nine games two years in a row, and people were disappointed at the end of that second nine-win season. Um, you look at Georgia dominating the East. You mentioned Florida being down already. Kentucky's going to be really solid. We know that. I'm, I'm not yet buying South Carolina. Missouri's a giant question mark. What What do you make when, when all, we get to like Hoover and or wherever we're going this summer for for, for media days? What, what Where are fans expecting their team to be talked about? Is it, hey, we are as good as Florida and Kentucky and we can challenge for second place? We're all just still fighting for Georgia's scraps? Like we're... Where do you think those conversations this summer are going to be about Tennessee? Yeah, I do think you bring up a good point in that a lot of where Tennessee is, uh, usually in the middle of the SEC, it really depends on what as much of what the rest of the SEC is, is what you are. I think fans and even media, we, we tend to get into this mode of, well, they were this good last year, and they'll be a half a step better. So they won seven last year, so they'll now win eight or nine. Um South Carolina did a lot in the portal. I, I, I think it's fair to question what they have, but they did a lot in the portal. They did what they're supposed to do, which was take a mediocre team and make some moves to try to get it better. If, if they are a little better, uh, you know, I mean, that game last year, that game Tennessee against South Carolina, that game was over in five minutes. Um, if Shane Beamer can close that gap, maybe you have a competitive game there. Uh, Kentucky, Tennessee has mostly had their number historically, but Kentucky's always good uh, lately. Uh, they're always competitive. They're always tough. Do you, do you win that game? Because uh, Kentucky's going to still be pretty good. Is is Florida get back up in Billy Napier's first year, or are they down like they were at the end of the Mullen tenure? And, you know, Florida just has Tennessee's number. Uh, what I mentioned before about Pitt and how they – I mean, Pitt lost Kenny Pickett. They also brought in a, a really good wide receiver in the portal – and they brought in the USC transfer at quarterback, and they get back Jordan Addison, who was the Bolitnikoff winner last year. That team, if I'm Pitt and I'm looking at what I did last year against Tennessee, and then I look at Tennessee secondary, and I don't, and I see a worse secondary than last year, and I feel good about my passing game, which they're going to be. I'm going to say I'm going to try to throw for 400 yards and first team to 40 wins, and they could maybe do that. And so, early in the year, if you're if you beat Pitt, which you could do if you finally beat florida which will is a little down you're four and oh and maybe lsu you're five and oh 
you may also be two and three or three and two, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, this first, the, the first month as it usually is with Tennessee is going to, is going to matter a whole lot. Uh, it, it matters a lot of where, when you play teams and how they are, when you play them, the, the, the reasonable goal for Tennessee is that you get to second in the East. George is going to be one. And last year, Tennessee was third because Florida was down. But Kentucky was second, and you beat Kentucky. So it's gettable to get to second in the East. And again, the doors open now. It probably won't be as open once Billy Napier gets guys in there in, you know, in Happel's third and fourth year, maybe a little tougher. So the doors open, the expectations will be up. And if you can get to second in the East and you can get to eight wins or plus, uh, then you're probably talking about going to the Citrus Bowl, and that's where Tennessee hasn't been since 2002. That'd be definitely a, a huge step forward. Can't spell citrus without UT. Um, here's here's my last one for you, and I'll let you go. I already promised you a last one, but you already alluded to sort of the narrative around Tennessee as well. We got to 7-5. and five. We were a little bit better. We should take another step, and that's sort of how every fan base views their team in the SEC. What will be the dumbest off-season narrative about this Tennessee football team? Like, give us the like something you're going to hear from radio hosts and people like me asking you questions, stories you're going to have to, like, maybe have to write during the summer. Like, what will be the dumbest narrative that you're just like, I can't believe this keeps coming up? Um, if Tennessee, if Tennessee does beat Florida uh, and they start, let's say, 4-0, could Tennessee overtake Georgia? Is this the year? <laughs> I will and you remind, know it. I will it, remind people listening that that happened while Jeremy Pruitt was the coach at Tennessee, and I you, had to, you, and you and know and that would have reasonable Tennessee fans would not think that's the case at all. But no. if, but if you beat Team A, that means you can then beat Team B and C and D, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that I remember, I remember the can Tennessee compete for the East because they had won, like they were like three and O or something to start the, the Pruitt year in 2020. And I was like, no, stop asking this question of me. It is stupid. Stop it. So that, well, well and, and, and let me get, go with the second one too. And I don't think this is ridiculous, but the Hendon hooker Heisman talk <laughs> is, is rising with each week. And it, it, it should just start at, on the dark horse list, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. not top 10. Yeah. Is he top 15? I don't know. Top 20, uh, maybe. I don't know how far that list goes, but Hendon Hooker saying he could have some really, really good numbers that usually puts you in the talk in the first month, maybe first half of the season. That's completely fine. That's the, fine. The, but the, uh, now, now I'm like, now my brain's like working. The, the other one that drove me crazy all off season for Tennessee fans, and I got so many text messages from, 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 friends about this like oh, i'm worried about hendon hooker going to the go, leaving and i'm like to go where <laughs> where where is he going he is not an nfl prospect he's a really nice college quarterback what why why was there where was why were you concerned about hendon hooker where was he gonna go <laughs> yeah i mean hendon hooker i've got to know his family a little bit talked to his dad a number of times talked to his sister and that's a level-headed family and a level-headed decision was made when he looked at it and said, <laughs> I'm maybe a seventh round pick, maybe not draftable yeah. at all. Yeah. And there's a pile of NIL money over there. And yep, there's yep. a parade for me as one of the yep. <laughs> better UT quarterbacks of the last 20 years. I think maybe I'll take this. I think this, I think this will be fine. And so he went with the door number two and door number two, I think is, is, is going to be perfectly fine, fine for him.
What a smart and mature young man Hendon Hooker is. I appreciate but, but, that. By the way, Braden, I'm sure you've played this back before, but when we did a podcast uh, maybe nine, ten months ago, we were talking about the quarterbacks, and you said Joe Milton will start. He will disappoint. He'll show a lot of promise. It won't be promise fulfilled. Uh, Harrison Bailey doesn't fit in this offense, I think you said. In like third or fourth week, they'll go to Hendon Hooker and he'll be and he'll be fine and he'll be the starter the rest of the year. I, I I I'm sure you can play back the audio of that, but I'm 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 pretty sure that's generally <laughs> what you said. You were way off. I think you said third or fourth week. He was it was second week. It was second week. You were he, he didn't. Uh, what I said was in the middle of the pit game, the offense will be stagnant. They're going to have to make a change to go to Hendon Hooker, and he will start by week three. I was technically correct on all of that, with the exception of the injury. Yeah, I was going to say you were. Yeah, no, it wasn't an injury. You, you're right on stagnant, but you did not say that Joe Milton would hurt his leg. So all right, I quit. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's I won't a swing read. and a miss. I, yeah, my bad. Uh, Adam, always a pleasure, man. Where can people find you, by the way? Where can they read all your stuff and follow you on the uh, the in, the internets? Yeah, I'm uh, knoxnews.com. That's the new Sentinel site. Uh, but also Tennessean readers in Nashville, tennessean.com. Well, all my stuff for, I'm technically the UT football writer for the Tennessean also. So you can catch me there on tennessean.com also and uh, on Twitter at Adam Sparks. There you have it. Downsize, downsize, downsize. Adam, always a pleasure, my friend. Good to talk to you, bud. We'll talk soon. Yep, good deal. Do you want to do a rap or do you think I did enough of it before the Adam Sparks interview? You probably need to wrap it. All right. Let's make it real quick. Coming down. Three, two, one. That was Adam Sparks of the Knoxville News Sentinel. Love talking with him. I know you you, you and him go way back from his time on the Vanderbilt beat. And uh, I always love talking with him. I think he has one of the best accents in the SEC. Definitely has an accent. <laughs> of, of all that. Well, it just sounds like SEC football when he talks, you know? Yeah. I feel like. I feel like. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like that's more like what I think of when I think of Jimbo Fisher and not Adam Sparks, but I hear you. Well, like the people who call Feinbaum show, that's to me that's not an SEC football voice. Those are like the fringe elementers, actually. Um, Oh, you took Feinbaum's craziest and made them ours. Our podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I hear Adam Sparks' voice, and I hear like like Josh Kendall. Uh, of the mm-hmm. athletic like he yep. josh kendall in fact you know what we should do we should get josh kendall on next week and we'll have josh and adam we'll put their voices next to each other and be like which one has the more sec football voice adam sparks or josh kendall you're gonna tell them before they get on there or just surprise them no it's I, actually why, an accent competition why 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 plan this <laughs> i i'm just a big planner okay. myself uh what where should people go if they're in town and they want to grab a great bite to eat and park for free they should go to jasper's and order the queso oh that that is a good recommendation and a marg and it can count as a meal because i've done it it, well there's plenty of calories in that margarita so what and the queso it's delicious what um if people wanted to follow you or send mean tweets to you or all that good stuff where would they do that with you i love getting mean tweets there's this weird thing about me when people are really me actually Braden's been mean to me before and I didn't think it was that funny but when other people especially people that I don't know are mean to me it makes me laugh really hard like I feel like it's the funniest thing ever so you you know my stance on social media the Aaron I do the Aaron Dugan on Twitter Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram if you decide to take time out of your day to log on to an app to tell me 
how much of a moron you think I am. I am honored by that. I, I think, think it's it wonderful. so funny. I do too. I do too. Thank you I've... for all the mean tweets. I'll give you your pamphlet next week. For Aaron Dugan, for Adam Sparks, <laughs> my name is Braden Gall. Go to Jaspers, everybody. Thank you for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Peace. Peace.